I probably would not have hired Ed Reed because he has no experience. Well, I'm a Steelers fan too, so I probably would be biased. So I'm not going, <laughs> I can't hire nobody with the name, so I'm a diehard Steelers fan. So that's part of it. I'd be like, no. Before they get in your business, be in charge of your business. Own it because it's your business, your business, business. Handle all of your business, value all of your business. You say your money, your business, my business. All right, so today we have a different kind of lineup, but dope lineup. We're going to start with a MoCo roundtable. Walter Kimbrough is an academic advisor who served as the seventh president of Dillard University. Kimbrough also was previously the president of Philander Smith College from 2004 to 2012. So he's been the president of two HBCUs. Why does that matter? Because we're going to have a discussion. Ed Reed sparked a large discussion in the HBCU space, and we want to break it down. We're also going to have an interview with Alicia Gray, the fourth overall pick in the 2017 draft. She was drafted by the Dallas Wings, and now she's here with us in Atlanta. Let's go! All right, so this week marks Big 7-0, my Snookabooka's 70th birthday. She's here in Atlanta celebrating with us. So that's all I'm thinking about this week because it's a blessing. We see a lot of times with people and COVID, I don't take health or anything for granted. So to have Snook here, that's what I'm thinking about this week. And now on to the sports topics of the week. And woo, was it a week? WNBA free agency is off to the races. And as you guys know, the dream traded for Alicia Gray. We're going to talk to her in a little bit. Jonquil Jones went to New York. That sent a wave to the WNBA. And it also sent Natasha Howard to Dallas, which I feel like is a big move as well. De'Erica Hamby went to L.A. and Amanda Zowie B. to Vegas. Now, De'Erica Hamby had a lot of discussion because in the business of sports, players give their heart and they give their everything to it. I've gotten that call before, too, where I didn't know I was going to get traded. You get the call and you, you realize you have to pack up everything and move. So tough situation there. On to the NBA, the Lakers, boy. It's like, why are we always talking about the Lakers? We are. I'm sorry. It just keeps happening. But the Lakers made a 20-point comeback recently, and Pat Bev and Damian Lillard had some words. And, of course, Pat Bev being Pat Bev mocks Dame Lillard. He acts like the watch on his clock is broke, puts it in his pocket. You know, normal Pat Bev things. And the NFL, though, is really what was big in sports as well this week because we had the games that get to the games that get to the games, basically. Kansas City won 27 to 20. The New York Giants, I'm sorry to my brother, Rob, my brother-in-law, Rob, man. They got whooped by the Philadelphia Eagles. And I'm telling you right now, Jalen Hurts, on top of him being that guy on NFL-wise, I'm seeing a lot of stuff about Jalen Hurts as that guy looks-wise. I'm just saying. I've been seeing a lot of tweets about that as well. Then Buffalo, played in Buffalo, it was snowing, but cool Joe Burrows, boy, he told everybody to get a refund. So if you didn't know, there was going to be a neutral site game here in Atlanta if the Bengals lost. Well, they won, so Joe Burrows said, yeah, give everybody back their refund, man, and don't do it like that no more. And then we have the game, and when I say the game, I don't know why, but it's like Dallas really might be America's team. Everybody I talked to got some type of want to, like, affinity for the Dallas Cowboys. Unfortunately for that whole group, and when I say that whole group, there's a lot of them. That whole group has to be very disappointed. Somebody, I saw a tweet that said, Jerry Jones has been catfishing us for three decades now, but the Dallas Cowboys lost 19-12 to to the 49ers. Mystery relevant. The quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, Brock Purdy, man, I'm telling you, it's like, it's different in, in football right now, but I'm sorry to the Dallas Cowboy fans, which is also my Diddy's team. So I'm sorry to my Diddy. I'm sorry about, I'm sorry, mama. I'm sorry to everybody. It's tough. It's tough right now. So we got the 49ers moving on, the Cincinnati Bengals moving on, Philadelphia Eagles moving on, and then the Kansas City Chiefs moving on. And moving on to some philanthropy, because you know we like to cover that a little bit. Cal Kuzma donated $1 million to his local YMCA, which so happens to be Flint, Michigan. And we know Flint, Michigan needs a lot of assistance in a lot of ways, so I love seeing NBA players give back. And then on the NFL side of giving back, 
It's year three for Mike Evans' Catch for Kids program where he pledges one essential item for each yard he earns and 13 items for each touchdown, which equaled 1,202 items donated to kids in need this season. I love a little bit of putting work in on the field and off. That's all we got for this week. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more. And if I miss some things, it's because we already recorded the podcast. First of all, we have Walter Kimbrough joining us, who was the president of Diller University and also the president of, let me make sure I get this right, Philander Smith College, correct? Yep, correct. I'm always saying that so people can know that we have an expert in the building on the topic of HBCUs and how they work and how the workings are of it. We want to get into a conversation right now because we've seen a lot of talk going on on social media, going on in the media in general. Ed Reed, as we know, was slated to be the head football coach at Bethune-Cookman University. And due to some outbursts that happened on social media and various other things, BCU decided not to move forward. Now, I'm just going to first open up the floor, Walter, because you said that you want to break the whole thing down. So I just want to first open up the floor to you to kind of break down your thoughts on that situation in general. It's an interesting situation, and there's a lot of layers to it. But the first thing I try to tell people is that Ed Reed was not an employee. He didn't have a signed contract. He didn't have an official start date. None of that. So none of us can just be upset with the situation and blast our employer or potential employer on social media and expect to come in and get a check. That's not happening. I think a lot of people gave him, they kept saying, well, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. He could do X, Y, and Z. But the average man or woman, people get fired today for doing things on social media when they have a job. That's true. So to expect that he's going to get the job after doing all that was unrealistic. Secondly, like Philander Smith and Dillard University, Bethune-Cookman is a United Methodist-related institution. Mm. I'm sure there's some folks in the church who would be upset to have your new coach all on social media cussing folks out. And it doesn't mean that church people don't cuss. I'm a preacher's kid. So that means I'm professional. <laughs> so, I mean, that dude, you cannot do those kinds of things. But the other thing I kept thinking about is that Ed Reed, and it's not his fault, but he didn't thoroughly do his homework. The issue that I have with this is that it is a reflection of challenges of their board of trustees. When Ed Reed was announced as a new football coach, they hired him after a month. I noted that their previous president announced his resignation in March of 2021. They have not done a search yet for a permanent president. That's the problem. And they've had, I think since 2012, they've had two permanent presidents and three interims. All of those are red flags. It's a red flag that you're a division one NCAA school and your athletic director is also your men's head basketball coach. The role is too complex. You start adding all those things together, it was doomed to fail. It was doomed to fail. So it's not just it's Ed Reed and those kinds of things. There are a lot of things that happen and make it very complex. So that's the way that I looked at the situation is that, you know, he jumped out. He didn't have I mean, and part of it, too, it wasn't even fair. I don't know if he did a background check. And normally when you hire a new person, you work with HR to find out when is the space going to be ready. You give facilities a chance to go fix up the space. It's great that he wanted to jump in and start doing some work. But you don't go blasting because your office isn't ready. Because first of all, it's not even your office yet. You don't have a start date. You can't go blast everybody. My office isn't ready. Dude, you don't have a contract. You don't have an office. So you could just say, hey, I looked at the space. Can we do these kinds of things? You have that conversation offline. He didn't do any of that. So, yeah, there you go. I agree wholeheartedly with one, two, three, and four. And I think <laughs> I kind of expressed that on our last show. And as I said, I just before they came on and I was talking with you about like, I'm an HBCU person from 1969, starting on an HBCU campus. And there's a lot of pride in HBCUs. And I think there was a USA Today article by Jason Johnson, and I think he hit on it. HBCUs have a lot of challenges, and I always want things to be shown in a positive light. We do enough to kick ourselves in the hips otherwise. And so we need to, as a race or as a supporter of an HBCU, to always come out there and try to present the most positive face 
possible. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, last time Snook was she, she from jump, she said, uh-uh, no, that's not right. I don't like the way that he's making HBCUs look. So we all had a shared sentiment of he could have definitely done it in a slightly different way, not slightly, in a dramatically different way, I should say. But you're absolutely right. You know, people get fired for way less than that when they go on social media. Social media is it's it's a monster. You know, people have to be careful what they put out there when they're employed, when they're about to get employed, you know? No, it's, I mean, really, and it's, we work a lot with, with students and we tell even students that to say that there are companies now that will do a social media check before they even hire you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just a new reality. So there, there are other companies out there that are paid to go scrub people's social media profiles to make sure that those things that, you know, you're young and you're wilding out, they make sure that stuff goes away. <laughs> so he's too old to be wilding out like that. Right. <laughs> well, I want to say, I, I want to jump here and say that I was the one who was kind of like, I understand that there's no money, the donorship is down and all that stuff I said, but picking up trash is something that you can actually just, you know, you have a coach coming in, you know, this coach is potentially going to be bringing hopefully millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands thousands of dollars into the programs and possibly to the school, it would have taken nothing for the same team that he was going to coach to say, hey, we're going to have a, a legendary Hall of Famer coming in here. Y'all could pick up this trash. He, he was just saying the facilities as far as the trash is concerned. And, and my mother and I had a very deep discussion because I said, you can't fix everything, but fix what you can fix. And that was one of the things I had a problem with is that not to say that the grounds were probably outrageous, but he didn't talk about the facilities. He didn't talk about they didn't have weights. He didn't talk about there wasn't his room was a broom closet or whatever. He said the trash. He was like things that can be fixed. Can we fix those things? And I told my mother, I said how he handled it. No, he did not handle it correctly. I think that he could have done it drastically different. But at the same time, that shouldn't have been something that we had necessarily a problem with, especially if it was just walk around, pick up what you can see, and let's just straighten up for someone gets here. That's all I'm saying. Now, Ed Reed didn't sign a contract, and I know he wanted to be a part of it, but a lot. one part of what I feel is that he he has his money, and he could probably go somewhere else. I feel like the whole program in the school is who, who is really losing out on this particular situation. Now, he did need to be guided. There did need to be some parameters put in place. I don't know how Bethune-Cookman is really winning here in this situation. And that's all I'm going to say, because those kids literally are losing out playing under a legendary Hall of Famer. I mean, that's just automatically going to get them looked at from a different set of eyes. Right. Well, so there are a couple of things on there. I, I mean, I agree that picking up trash is one of the basic things. But to me, it goes back to the instability in terms of leadership. Mm-hmm. They had an interim for a year. He retired. They now they're in their second interim. When you don't have consistent leadership, somebody there looking at the big picture every day, you have those kinds of things happen. So to me, it's still a governance issue. The board still has not announced a real search. So when you don't have somebody who's invested like that because the interim doesn't know if he's going to have that job permanently. So those are some of the challenges as a part of that. The part about, and I think there are several people who've written about it. There is a new article in USA Today by um, Bill Roden, who wrote the book, $40 Million Slaves, that really talks about HBCUs need to try to get away from this idea that we're going to bring in this Hall of Famer and they're going to immediately do everything because of what Dion did. Dion Sanders is a force of nature. Mm-hmm. And I think people are trying to replicate that. And really on the low, Bethune-Cookman already tried to do that two years ago because Reggie Theus is their athletic director. And Reggie Theus, Hall of Fame basketball player. Nobody's talking about Reggie Theus like that. Tennessee State got Eddie George, running back. They're not talking because they're not Dion. Mm-hmm. And so I think some people just say, well, man, this worked for Jackson State. Who can we get? Let's get Ed Reed. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I said. Ed had no, and, and that's what they're saying too, Ed has no experiences in uh, Roden's article, he noted that Dion could bring in all kinds of folks, but in, in both celebration bowls, he lost both of them to old school coaches. That first year, South Carolina State, old school coach that don't nobody know, completely outcoached him. Completely. Once again, North Carolina Central this past year, completely outcoached him. There is some value in that. And then the other thing I would tell people is that if Ed Reed was all of that, why hasn't anybody else picked him up? He was on the staff at Miami. He couldn't be the secondary coach. The person that they hired, they just got from UGA, where I went to school, who has 17 years as a coach. Ed Reed is there. So people just like, well, they should have taken him because he's a Hall of Famer, blah, blah, blah. 
his school didn't take him as a coach. So why does the HBCU have to take him? And I agree. And that's what I was saying before. And so let me actually, because you said some nuggets there, and I want to talk on that because, okay, Jackson State, they made $68 million for homecoming. People ask the question of how much that went back to the football team. But also, too, Edgar and James, and this is a quote from his Instagram, said, sometimes we are our own worst enemies. Ed Reed, I hate it for those kids not getting a chance to witness what makes great great. Your visit and outside support was about to have a greater impact more than realized. But shouts to at Shaq and those other billionaires that were ready to invest in your vision and build. Now, I'm hearing that Shaq's mom is a BCU graduate and that this move was going to be big for them for that reason, because they felt like, again, maybe not to Dion's level, because like you said, he's prime time. I mean, that's a whole different level. But there were also those type of talks that he had already had. And also they said that there were 26 recruits on campus the day that they found out that Coach Ed Reed was not going to be the coach. So from your thoughts, if you were the president, I know they don't have one, but would you have rather them make the move sooner? Because we know that that happened and there was a there was a rant and then there was a two-week space until they let him know that they wouldn't be moving forward. We're not going to say fired because he was never hired, but there was a two-week period to where the rants happened and then he wasn't moving forward and there were 26 recruits on campus at that time. So Bethune has had a history of these sort of broken down contract negotiations. So let's go back 20 years. Gloria Tanubu had been on Atlanta City Council. She was a professor at Spelman. They hired her to be the president of Bethune-Cookman. Three months later, they came back and said, yeah, we can't work out the contract. This isn't new for Bethune Cookman. It's history repeating itself. It happened with the president 20 years ago. If I were president and I've had to hire people, I don't have any extended contract negotiations like that. You get everything done because what should have happened, you get it locked up. You have your press conference the next day. You got the I's dotted and the T's crossed. So once again, to me, that's that's a leadership issue. That's a governance issue because you should not have been in that situation. And I know one of the reasons that they hired him and he probably sold that to say, I'm working behind the scenes to get some people to support. You definitely want to lock that up sooner rather than later. And then you you were able to move forward. So it was just blundered the whole way around. I, you know, I, so, I, I mean, we don't know if those folks would have. I know, you know, Shaq's, you know, mother is a graduate there, uh, but they've had other superstar connections. They had a board chair whose son is Vince Carter, legendary NBA player. They didn't really see any major financial support because of that. And she was a chair of the board. So a lot of times people, you know, are saying we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it doesn't materialize. Uh, but, you know, I, I read what Ezra and James said about that and some other billionaires, and that would have been great as well had that happened. But they should have locked that up. There should have been a contract, a start date, and then you move forward. So then even if that incident happened, you could discipline that and handle That's it a different kind too. of way. I just I think agree. when you don't have anything in place and then that happens, they had to just say, you know what, this ain't going to work. And it, it is. It's, it's a black eye for the institution. I mean, everybody lost on that deal. I agree. It's it's problematic. But um, once again, I just without stable leadership, you have those kinds of mistakes. And that to me, it goes back to stable leadership. And that's the board's fault, because that position has been vacant for almost two years now. You can't operate like that. Cole, what were you saying? I was saying that to his sentiment, saying that people wanted another Deion Sanders run, like all these HBCUs are looking for a coach that's a player, but they're not ready. A lot of these schools are not ready for what's coming because, like you said, Ed Reed is not an educator. He's a football player. He knows football and he knows what you got to do to be good at football. And he has proven that. But a lot of that comes with they're in the locker room and it's a locker room mentality. And the thing is, is that Dion gave it to his school and they took it. Now, Dion may have handled it a little differently in the media situation, but he was giving it to him. He was letting them have it, too. And I think that you got to be ready for that. And some of these schools, they want what comes with the name and the fame, but they don't want what comes with that is the mouth and the attitude and what they will and will not accept. And so that was my whole point. It's like that they knew this was going to be Ed Reed and they knew they were having a camp. There was only, a, and like you said, that goes to the administration because me and mom said the same thing. There should have been an athletic director. There should have been someone there to say, hey, let's get this kind together. But it does go to the point of there, if there's no, you know, a, there's no one over the entire organization or the administration, it's not going to be right. But I'm saying that a lot of these schools, if y'all going to do this, they need to get ready for what they're asking for. And right. that's, that's the thing. They got to get ready for it. And they weren't ready. 
ready. They're not. And I, I think people saw the Dion effect and they're just like, ooh, I want that shiny new thing. There's a lot that comes along with that. And you're right. Everybody can't handle that. So it's like, look, you need to have a good program, get you a solid AD. You need to separate. You can't be the head men's basketball coach and the AD mm-hmm. at a Division One school, period. So yeah. let's start there. That's a problem. I led two NAIA schools. When I got to Dillard, our women's basketball coach was also the AD. I was like, nope, you can't do that. You got to do separate jobs. We made her the AD. Our program really took off. We started to have more championships because she could focus on how do we improve our game day experience? How do we do this? It changes the whole thing. So I can't imagine at a Division One school having the, the AD. So that's part of the problem, too. But once again, that's the leadership. That's something that a president comes in. You look at it and you're just like, Mm-mm, we're not doing this. We got to separate it. We're going to have a true athletic Absolutely. program. So you're right. I think the school could have still done something that if they had the proper leadership to kind of help smooth this situation over. Now, I don't yes. know. I didn't see Absolutely. the trash. I said, we're talking about trash here, right? <laughs> and I read where they had had two hurricanes. Well, we know there's two hurricanes that came through there. What type of trash are you talking about? The school could have said, well, the trash that was there is what's not been cleaned up from the two hurricanes that we experienced in the fall. And I mean, you know, the trash, uh, you have to, and I read that a lot of the city has not been cleaned up from that. So you could have came in with some good PR and said the trash he was talking about has accumulated because we have not had a chance to get our footing from when we had the two hurricanes and kind of tried to smooth it over. So again, make him it fix goes it. Back, I would have said, yeah. I would have made him fix it. I'd be like, you know what? You did this. Now bring some good spotlight, bring some good light to the school since you put it out there. I think they should have worked with him. I think they should have got somebody so to you say. They should have worked that out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think that that one little blurb about, like mom said, we're talking about about trash I think if they had worked with him and said hey he apologized let's move forward fix this you made it look bad make it look good I mean you can't be on one side and not be on the other come up with an explanation for it yeah I think they should have worked it out you don't agree with them not ratifying the contract basically you think that they should have came to some kind of agreement I think they should have done something if they wanted to they still hadn't made the contract (laughs) put it in the contract you can't go on social media and do this. That could have been a part of what now they yeah. know that's the problem they're going to have. Yeah, exactly. Included in the contract. Yeah. Point, he wasn't, right. He wasn't employed yet. But that is something that they need to think about now for sure. Absolutely. They lost more, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mr. Kimbrough knows diehard alumni are hard to work with first. They think they should run the co- run the college and, you know, their wishes. <laughs> yeah. And basically with HBCUs, that's where a lot of your funding dollars comes in. And so once they're kind of disgruntled, it's kind of bad, you know, so. But their funding wasn't good. Yeah, no, I understand. So I, I see what Nicole is saying. I don't I don't know how broken that was. And once again, for me, if you had strong leadership, you could have put mm-hmm. him in the office and be like, bruh, that's, this is horrible. <laughs> now I got a mess on my hand. What are we going to do? And you was like, look, you need a goodwill. It's like, tell Edge, I don't need Edge saying we, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. It's like, I'm coming to the table and I got this and we're going to do this immediately. So it's like, that's how you make up yeah. for it. You coming in with some money right now. Like, look, I, I already got my people. I'm going to show y'all I'm serious. We're going to put $5 million. We're about to build a yes. this. That's the only way that you can. And then that's a win for everybody. But once again, it's got to have a strong leadership to step in and say, look, this is this is a problem. And so that's like I said, this doesn't happen if you have good leadership in place and you don't have good leadership in place because the board has not prioritized hiring a president. (laughs) You've got to have a president, particularly with a strong personality like that. You got to. All right, so we got to take a quick break, but then we're going to continue this roundtable discussion with Dr. Walter Kimbrough. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
the statement was released from BCU about not going along with the contract. Who makes that decision other than the AD? Because does the now we know alumni controls millions of dollars, as you talked about, and scholarship funds and alumni donors and all of that to that effect. And just a little nugget so that people can know across the board for all universities, alumni giving is usually around six percent with HBCUs. Alumni giving usually is around seven to 11 percent. So it's even higher than your normal university. So how does that come into place in who is actually making the decision to decide not to move on with Coach Every's contract other than just the AD? See, I, you're asking a question. <laughs> we don't know. Don't touch that. But what is the usual <laughs> protocol? The board probably has something. Well, I mean, that would be the decision. But based on like your accrediting standards, those kinds of decisions should be made by the president. When you have outside people involved in that, like your board, you can get a sanction. A good example here in Louisiana the former president of LSU, King Alexander, he told a story how when they wanted to get rid of Ed Orgeron, the board came and told him, like, dude got to go. That was a problem for them. So it doesn't happen just to HBCUs. That's the other thing that people keep saying. HBCU, I like, no, it happened right here with LSU. The same kind of thing. So my my assumption is I think that the board, the board chair probably said, dude has got to go. I just don't see an interim president making that call on their own. I think there's some other folks. I don't have proof of that, but it's sort of hard to say the interim is going to make that kind of call. They're going to have to get some kind of okay at a higher level, which is going to be the board. But I don't know if we'll ever know that. I, I you know, I just don't think I wouldn't, anybody I wouldn't would say it's sort of quiet. <laughs> right, I yeah, raise was, my I mean, hand to it. Reggie Theus has been real quiet. I mean, we don't have no statements from him. And that's what people, we don't have any statements from that's the what people were saying. I, there were no statements attached to the actual nothing. statement. There's no one that has came to speak no about it. There's no name attached to the fact that they don't want to move on. No PR trying to clean it up or anything. Yeah, no. So when you don't have a name, it's just sort of out there. That raises suspicions, too. So who did make the decision? Why was the decision made? It just said, And I think you could go on. I mean, once again, if you're the president, you make the decision. You step out there and say, hey. I made the decision. This is why you own that. That's a part of being a leader. Absolutely. But when it's sort of out there like that, I have no idea who made that decision. Hmm. So I can only speculate. And knowing that the president is interim, I'm saying the board said this is over. He got to go. Which I think is sad because it's like they made a decision. Now they're scared to stand by it because I know, like you said, if I made that decision and I felt like that was in the best for the school, for the administration, for the donorship, I would say, you know, we we talked with more than one person or this was a uh, a combination of other things that came into play. I would actually just say it because, like you said, what's going to happen in the next couple of years? Because now it's like, well, are they going to try to get someone else or what are they doing? They're not even getting a president. So how are they going to worry about bringing someone else of his caliber in? It's, 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 it's sad. I think this, that's why I said sad. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. But I mean, this was a decision and there are a lot of people in the HBCU space that applaud Bethune-Cookman for that mm-hmm. decision. So it's not, Definitely. I mean, it's, it's a split, split decision. decision. It's not like overwhelmingly like, this is horrible. There are a lot of people who are just like, yep, dude had to go. He thought he was bigger than the school. He didn't understand HBCU culture. He can kick rocks. <laughs> so there's a lot of people that would support that. I would love to see if those people donate. Well, that's true. I understand <laughs> that. But there are people who are supportive that are saying, they're saying, you got people saying what HBCUs should do, and they aren't engaged in HBCUs at all. So if you didn't say, and they're like, like the hurricane, they're like, if Absolutely. you ain't had nothing to say about Bethune when they got hit by the hurricane. Don't try to say nothing about this. And, and being here in New Orleans, I understand hurricanes. So I, I understand what they're saying. So, uh, you know, and, and to your point that you said, you said the HBCU culture, that's that's the word like there is a culture, there is a code. It's kind of like unwritten that people go by because as soon as, as Snook always talks about it, she's an HBCU grad. She taught at an HBCU and she said, oh, no, like you don't do that. Like everybody's so proud of the school that they go to, especially when they go to an HBCU. And he kind of broke that code and, and, you know, going against that that culture that that you just that you just spoke about. So and, and, and we also know that it was the university's decision because he came out. He said, no, they did not choose to ratify the contract. So we can all agree that he definitely could have, you know, gone about it a different way. And that is the problem because there is still a problem of the debris and the trash and all that and the, and the lack of leadership. So that, you know, there, there are still some problems to fix there. And then to that point, I was listening on a Twitter spaces. It was inside HBCU football led by BJ Jones. And there were a lot of comments made there. And, and I'm just going to say some of the comments that were made to that point. It said, um, 
a lot of people were concerned about this big name NFL player coming to an HBCU culture. If you've never been to an HBCU or had played for one, then you don't know about that culture. Facilities make them division one. It's not the education. It's not the board. And they said Ed Reed could have handled it so much differently. Um, he could have brought in, to y'all's point, different groups to help come clean it up. But they said it's different with HBCUs because when you have certain HBCUs and certain coaches where, let me see, they said HBCUs, this the experience, but it's also a business. And that's where it kind of splits for HBCUs because we know when you talk about, you mentioned UGA, UGA football, we all very much so understand that that is big business. People also want to not understand that sports is a business when it comes to HBCUs. They only look at the experience of sports. And and a person that was actually talking was a player that played for Tuskegee. And he said, you know, it's different for Tuskegee football because their coach was also a player that played for Tuskegee. So he kind of already understood the culture that was there. Do you think that at this point, we understand that the Dion situation, you know, it was great for Jackson State. But is that a rinse and repeat type of mold or are we seeing now that maybe that's not the best idea to get hall of famers or people from bigger d1 or or nfl legends to come to a hbcu once again di is a unique force of nature and people trying to replicate that i mean Dion was already doing athletic commercials with nick saban mm. before he got there <laughs> he could come in and say man the practice field is jacked up every time it rains hard it floods I'm going to talk to Walmart. Walmart's going to build me a new practice field, which is what they did. I don't know if Ed Reed had the same kind of juice that Dion had. I'm just being honest. I don't I don't know if he had it. But Dion, once again, it, it's hard to do that. And then I started thinking about how many pro coaches are coaching Power 5 schools right now. They definitely aren't any black. I mean, Dion is going to be the only one right now because there are very mm. few black D1, you know, Power 5 coaches as there, as there is to begin with. They don't, they don't exist. So now why do HBCUs have to sort of be the, the you know the proving factory to let them get that opportunity to then bounce? And some people feel a certain way about Dion. That's part of the issue. It's like, oh, so use the, the HBCU now to go get paid to go to Colorado. And I don't begrudge him for that at all, I, you know. But somebody has to ask, and I'm asking the question, Ed Reed is this Hall of Famer played at the U. He was, you know, a special assistant and advisor. He was never a coach. He couldn't even be the secondary coach at the U, but he could be the head coach at, at Bethune. I got an issue <laughs> with that. It's just sort of like, you know, nobody else has given him the chances to do that. So, like I said, I, I have issues with us just trying to say, let's look for the big shiny object and hope that it's going to be like Dion and not look at Dion, the totality of who he is, how he's been. Like I said, I'm from Atlanta. I remember when Dion was, he had clubs in Atlanta. He was doing all kinds of stuff there. These other folks weren't doing any of that. Dion has been networking with people his entire career. So his Rolodex is deeper than most folks. And he was able to bring folks in immediately and build up that program. I don't know if Ed Reed has the same kind of relationships that Dion has. It's, so, uh, you know, once again, they, they brought in Reggie Theus. Reggie Theus definitely has not been able to bring in any kind of things. And he was a Hall of Famer for the NBA. True. That's why I said, if you're going to do this and you think it, the schools, I think, are looking to cash in on more than what the coaches are looking to cat. to be honest with you, because like you said, even Dion going to Jack State, yes, he had a big Rolodex, but he was coaching high school and he was coaching like bitty leagues and stuff before he got there. But he had, like you said, the the pockets to make it work at an HBCU. Probably didn't have the depth in the D1 space at that time. He had to have a proving ground, like you said. So my point is, is that I think that the schools are trying to get as much out of these shiny objects as they can while they can we see that Dion wasn't even you know he stayed a couple years and he did what he could do and then went on so I think that the schools are trying to cash in more than what the actual what Ed Reed would get out of it you know personally that's what I feel like and so that's why I said they need to be ready for what they're asking for so I agree with you but that's what I think is happening someone posed the question to me what do I feel would have happened had Ed Reed gone to a white institution and said the same things you know how would he have he wasn't gonna get a job at a white school I think they would have the <laughs> trash cleaned up they wouldn't hire him because they're not hiring black coaches D1 now anyway he wouldn't have ever got the job no, that's, I mean that's you're just right. a fact you're right there are no hardly no black D1 coaches yep. definitely not in the power five so I mean, the guy Stanford just left. So it's like maybe two or three of them. Dion is one of them. Once again, he was at the U. 
he could not get a job as a coach at the U. That's all I got to say. There you go. All right. So before we wrap, I want to ask you one more question, um, Walter, because I'm curious. So as we know, the BCU players have started a petition to try to get Coach Reed back. And then some of them have also spoken out on Twitter, one of them being Jaden Bivens. He said, you can't talk about him coaching us when we, and he emphasized we, are the ones who want him back and need him. You don't know nothing but what the media shows. And then another player also said, Y'all don't really care about the football team. You know the kids want Ed Reed, and you see what he was trying to do with the schools. But like everyone is saying, y'all always know how to mess stuff up. Do you think that that's going to change any minds or opinions of the administration? Is there any chance that we've already passed the first signing day for football, and now we're coming up on the second signing day? Is there any chance that Ed Reed actually can come back and figure it out with BCU and become the coach? Because their leadership is unstable, I think there is a possibility. Mm-hmm. I think there really? is. I would not, I would not be shocked what? because when, when you, when people aren't sure in their leadership like that, there could be a push where people say, yeah, we, we, we need to change this up. Remember, nobody has stood up and said, I take responsibility for this. So I could see some groundswell of people saying, all right, come on, y'all, give him a chance. The kids want him. They love him. It just depends. I don't, I don't know what what their moral core is as a leadership unit right now. So if there'll be some people, it's like, I know the president. I know where they stand. This like, it's over. It's done. Y'all move on. But I don't know because there is we don't know who is making the decisions, what their moral core is. So I, I would not be shocked. I, I would keep the door open. I would say, stay tuned. I think it could happen. <laughs> I think that they should stick by their decision and just kind of let it, just let it go. Look for somebody else. I think that this situation definitely got enough eyes on them to, you know, to put them on the map and know that, okay, we need, jo- we need these positions to be filled, you know, but I think that, you know, with the whole Ed Reed situation, it kind of makes him look like a, a little bit of a loose cannon, you know, because you don't know if you do hire him, you don't know what's going to happen again. If he gets pissed off about something else, he's going to go on social network like he calls it and he's going to go off and he's going to he's going to you know ramble about what's wrong with it and even <laughs> even if they do put it in the contract he's probably one of you know like it's it's hard sometimes to tell people who are athletes at their core what to do so even if they do have it in his contract he's like man i don't care you know anything could happen just because you don't he you he hasn't proven himself to be reliable even if, if when he does get fired i mean uh hired who knows what's going to happen if you know he might get fired again so i think that they should just stick by their decision and just just move on and what do you think president should you do you think that if you were the president at bcu and you start to see a petition from the players you start to see the players speaking out on social media what's your temperament in that situation would you stick with the decision or would you be like no we got to move on i wouldn't have made that mess to begin with i would have made sure we had <laughs> I like that thank you there you go there you go that's the make sure you got this thing button up done right <laughs> You do your press conference. And then if something happens, I already have him under a contract. We having a conversation, me and him, just like, bro, you messed up. How are we going to make this right? So, Because I'm going to stand by you. But now I'm on the hook because I'm standing by you after you just showed your behind. So now you mm-hmm. owe me. I need, I need you <laughs> exactly. to come through with somebody. I don't need y'all saying what we're going to do. I need you to get your boys and I need you to do something to make this. And we can't have no problems. So then we had that conversation and we worked that out. I wouldn't have made the mistake in the beginning. And in terms of just even the vetting, and I think this is a conversation Nicole is, is having with us too, is that they started going for the shining object. I probably would not have hired Ed Reed because he has no experience. He was a, a, a safeties coach, assistant coach for the Buffalo Bills for one year. I'm not hiring that because once again, <laughs> I saw Dion lose two celebration bowls to people who coach. And so you got some of those other things. But if I want to win, I'm looking for somebody who can build a program, stay with that program so that we can win. So I'm probably not hiring him. And I mean, you know, I, well, I'm a Steelers it. fan, too, so I probably would be biased. So I'm not going <laughs> I can't hire nobody with the Ravens. So I'm a diehard Steelers fan. So that's part of it. I'll be like, no. <laughs> 
Wow. Well, I think, listen, that's Walter Kimbrough again. Now you're working at Morehouse at Right Correct. You're, you're pulling up to Morehouse. Right. Yeah. I'm the interim director of the Black Men's Research Institute. So we, I mean, been president of two HBCUs, doctor, and let me say Dr. Walter Kimbrough, and now working at Morehouse. We thank you for coming on here and providing your expertise. I mean, like I said, this is a topic that's going to continue now with HBCUs and the spotlight on them. A lot of people are recognizing that there is a built-in culture because a lot of media, a lot of different people are now interested because of different situations. So thank you for coming in here and shedding some light on the workings that you've been doing for a long time. And we're going to continue this conversation here on MoCo. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. So moving on from football to basketball, y'all know I told y'all, y'all must have forgot. I told y'all we're going to be doing this all season where we're bringing the WNBA to life right here on the podcast, starting with an interview with our newest player, Alicia Gray. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Everybody knows now, I've been hype, I've been known, but everybody knows now that you are coming to the A. Now, Atlanta's about three-hour drive from your home, Greenwood, South Carolina. So I heard your dad had already started getting tickets <laughs> long, long before the trade went through. Should we expect 50 Shades of Grey this summer? Like, what, what are we, should we expect? Uh, yeah, well, actually, I was just born in Greenwood, South Carolina. I was raised in Sandersville, Georgia. Okay. So that's like two hours from Atlanta. But yeah, my parents don't be at every single home game. Because even when I went to, at the time, I played University of North Carolina. They came to every game. That was like a five-hour drive. Uh-huh. And then when I went to University of South Carolina, that's two hours from San Diego. Well, so they was at every home game at that. So my dad was really excited about Atlanta. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, so speaking of South Carolina, a lot of people know and love Don Staley, who is the head coach there for the Gamecocks. Now, you played for her. I'm just curious from the from your perspective, because we all know, like, the coach she is, but what do you think, like, her greatest strength as a coach is? Just being a player's coach, even when you're done playing with her, she still keeps in contact with you, still there for you with anything that you need. I mean, I still talk to her to this day. So, I mean, she's a player coach and once you're done playing for her, she still want to be active in your life. I believe Blue. I was there for the first night, but Asia said no one goes back but her. And then Dawn said, when you go back, they be giving you buckets. Oh, no, no, no. I'll hand that out of buckets. No, nah, because I always make my annual visit around Christmas because I go home for Christmas. And then I drive up to South Carolina press with the team, but nah, uh-uh. uh-uh. <laughs> so that's not true. That's false. Nah, that's false. False. <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of that, I actually just, uh, you did go to high school in Washington County, which is here in Georgia, right? Yeah. I'm just curious, what are you looking forward to the most about playing in the city of Atlanta? Because, I mean, Washington County isn't, like, in the city of Atlanta. So what are you looking forward to? Uh, Just reuniting with old friends, uh, getting to see them at the games. I mean, I have some friends that stay in Atlanta as well. So, like, I won't miss out on all, like, the friend events like I was <laughs> being all the way in Dallas. So, And I get to see my family a lot more than just around, like, Thanksgiving and Christmas. So I'm excited about that. That's what's up. Now, for the people that don't know, I'm going to let them know, you were the 2017 Rookie of the Year. You've won a gold medal, 
a lot of people actually are talking about you could be a defensive player of the year candidate under Coach T. So I'm just curious, what kind of individual goals have you set for yourself? Definitely all-star and in, in being on one of those defensive teams. I mean, me personally, I feel like I got snubbed all-star last season. I mean, I had probably my best season of my career, career highs in, in every category. So my main focus this season is just, like, continue picking off of where I left last season. But the biggest thing is just playing hard and winning games. I love that. I love that. And you're going to be playing alongside Ryan Howard, who is – all-star and rookie of the year. Now you are both guards that play on both sides of the ball, which I'm excited about. So for the Atlanta fans that may not know, like how would you describe your game? Definitely a two-way player. Uh, I play hard on both sides of the ball, but I really pride myself in defense because I always talk uh, once you get your defense going, your offense will come. So I mean, I, I can get it done on both sides of the ball. That's what I pride myself in. I love that. And as people can probably see, you're a little bit soft-spoken, but you play aggressive. <laughs> so do you have like an alter ego or a mode that you kick into when you get on the court? You know, I'm just serious. I mean, people always be like, oh, you're so like stone-faced. You don't show any emotion. But it's like I'm in game mode. I mean, it's nothing funny on the court to laugh mm. about. Like I'm just locked in and I'm, I'm a business person when on the court I like to get the business done. So, I mean, I'll joke after the game but during the game I'm locked in and I'm ready to work Ooh wait listen so you already <laughs> should, you better know I'm turned up on the sidelines you gonna see but I'm, I'm gonna be turned up for you on the sidelines now when you came back to the WNBA from winning a gold medal in 2020 Summer Olympics it seemed like it took a second to get adjusted to the team like how do you snap back when you're in like those modes where you may not be playing to how you want to play uh, just um, staying in the gym, especially when I came in for an Olympic qualifying tournament. I went into like a little shooting slump, but the biggest thing with me was just continuing coming in early before practice, getting up shots, just to get out of that shooting slump. I mean, at some point in career, like some, you're going to hit that wall. Sure. So it's just how you stay focused to getting out of the wall. I mean, and my trainer, uh, John Holman, he would drive down as well when we would get in the gym. And I would just train, 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 and eventually I got out of the shooting slump. I mean, it took forever, but when it happened, I was like, finally. <laughs> no, that's what's <laughs> up because that takes that takes mental fortitude. I mean, we've seen the best of shooters go into slumps. We saw Steph Curry go into slumps. We saw Klay Thompson. I mean, we see it happen for every player. I've been in the shooting slump, so every player has their own thing, but getting it in in the gym is always going to be the fix. Now, you're going to be playing for the WNBA champion and AP Coach of the Year, Tanisha Wright. Like, what do you know about Tanisha's coaching style? Have you talked to her? What's those conversations been like? Uh, I got to talk to her briefly, but I'm sure as time get going, we'll have a more in-depth conversation. But, I mean, I got to play against her in my – I think it was my second year in the league when she was with New York. I and how I is that? To, to play against her, so. You played against the coach. You played against your coach. Now she's about to be your coach. Oh, it's gonna be cool. I mean, she was a bit. I mean, she's older than me, so I mean, the respect level is there. I mean, I always have respect for my coach. No matter if you were like my teammate or I played against you. I mean, at the end of the day, like you're my coach, so I have to hold you to a higher standard. Okay, I like that. So now I'm gonna ask you some quick hitters. You guys just give me your answer off rip. <laughs> All right, you ready? you ready? Let's get it, all right? Yeah. All right, your favorite game day meal? I'm a breakfast person. I always eat breakfast, whether it's pancakes, French toast, eggs, turkey bacon, turkey sausage. It's always breakfast. And it don't matter if it's a 7 o'clock game. You you eating a, a brunch, brenner, pregame meal? Yep, always breakfast. Always. Oh, wow. <laughs> all right, when you need to get a bucket, what's your go-to move? Probably just going straight to bed, either bodying or my spin move. <laughs> okay. Um, do you care if your boyfriend has a work wife that makes his plate? Oh, no, nah, that ain't happening. That's dead. <laughs> you got me. There ain't no work wife. <laughs> that's dead. <laughs> I'm, the only, I'm the only woman. No, that's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Favorite>? no. <nah. laughs> we just talked about that on our last episode. <laughs> Favorite video game to play? Uh, Warzone and 2K. Okay, okay. Who is the NBA version of you? Uh, whew. dang, that's a tough one. NBA version of me. NBA version of you. That's tough. I don't shoot as well as him, but I'll say uh, Clay Thompson. Okay. Because I mean, he just he stays within his role. Like he never goes outside of himself to be somebody that he's not. So 
I'm about to say Clay Thompson. I like that comp. I like that. How did you become a Philadelphia Eagles fan? I mean, I, my first year being an Eagles fan was when um, Jalen Hurts uh, joined the Eagles. I mean, I'm a Jalen Hurts fan, so that's okay. how I became an Eagles fan. And I know Avante Maddox. I be playing um, Warzone with him as well, so yeah. Oh, so y'all be playing together on the game? Yeah, we playing Warzone, yeah. That's what's up. <laughs> Toughest player you've had to guard? Oh, hands down, uh... Maya Moore, Simone Augustus. I mean, my rookie year, that was my welcome to the league moment. Simone Augustus hit a game winner in my face. No, it was crazy because my first game, I had to guard Diana Taurasi. And then my second game, I had to guard Simone Augustus and Maya Moore. And yeah, uh, Simone Augustus. She went to work that game. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I was on that team if it was 2017. Yeah, you, was... <laughs> yeah, you definitely will. <laughs> That's crazy. What was your best game in the league to date, if you can remember? Probably, Even though we lost, I'll probably have to say this past season we played the Seattle Storm. Even though we lost, I just felt like I was in my mode. Everything was clicking. My shots was falling. So, yeah, I had to say we played Seattle Storm. Okay. Who has somebody mistaken you for? Like, people are like always say, you look like who? I know they can't get my name right in the in the league. I mean, they always call me Chelsea Gray. I know you. I know lying. that point. Yeah, <laughs> no, like my name, like they always call. Cause even I, when I was in Dallas, even our own announcer, I'm at the free throw line. He was like shooting two Chelsea Gray, and I just looked back at the announcer. I'm like, come on now. And then <laughs> me and Chelsea just looked at each other, started laughing. But I'm like, that's your own home announcer. Like, come on now. So <laughs> definitely, they always mix mix my name up. And so say your name just so people know. Alicia Gray. Come on, Alicia Gray. I'm just saying. Okay, come on, Alicia Gray. All right, so if you weren't playing basketball, what would you be doing? If I weren't playing basketball, I'd probably be uh, somewhere broadcast. I mean, my major in college was broadcast journalism. But I like more of like the director-producer role. So oh. I'm more in that field. So I'd probably be doing something in that field. Behind the camera, like kind of just working. Yeah. The, I love that. I love that. All right. And what you want to say to your family after they come to their first game? What's that going to be like? Like seeing your whole family in there sitting around the game, every game at this point, I guess. Uh, it's going to be great. I'm big excited. I mean, after the game, I can hang with them, go get some food and stuff. <laughs> so it, it's very exciting. I can't wait. Love it. Well, listen, Alicia Gray, say her name, man. Get her name right. <laughs> Alicia Gray, man, I'm excited to have you on the squad for real. Like, I just love your game. I love your passion. And I love that you said you just go out there and go to work. So welcome to the dream. And thank you for hopping on here on MoCo. Thank you. Okay, so as y'all can hear, I had to ask Alicia Gray about how she would feel of her. She has a long-term boyfriend. If he had a work wife that was making his plate. And as you can see, it's a no-go all around. So what I've learned from Alicia Gray from our discussion from HBCUs is that when people care about something, they don't want you to talk bad about it. Don't touch it. Don't talk bad about it. Leave it alone. And so even with the Ed Reese situation, he cared. And I think the BCU cares and the alumni care and there's culture there. So I just hope they can all figure it out because it feels like a lose-lose situation to everyone. And when we talk about MoCo and HBCUs, it really is a generational thing. And we want generational health, wealth, and prosperity. That's all.